This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. You know, as most actors will admit, they'd secretly love to be handed the role that's offered up as a character that was very strong, even difficult to deal with. I would put the role of Nero Wolfe in that category. The new Adventures of Nero Wolfe was the first radio series that, like the Nero Wolfe stories themselves, stressed characterization over plot. Sidney Greenstreet was handed this plum role to play Nero Wolfe, a brilliant, oversized, eccentric armchair detective created in 1934 by American mystery writer Rex Stout. Now, Wolfe was born in Montenegro and keeps his past murky. He lives in a luxurious brownstone on West 35th Street in New York City, and he's loath to leave his home for business or anything that would keep him from reading his books, tending his orchids, or eating the gourmet meals prepared by his, his chef, Fritz Brenner. Archie Goodwin, uh, that's Wolf's sharp-witted, dapper, young, confidential assistant, has an eye for attractive women, and he narrates the cases and does the legal uh, and legwork for the detective genius. Rex Stout wrote 33 novels and 41 novellas and short stories from 1934 to 1975, most of them set in New York City. The stories have been adapted for film, radio, television, and the stage, the Nero Wolf Collection was nominated for Best Mystery Series of the Century at Boucheron 2000. That's the world's largest mystery convention. And Rex Stout was a nominee for Best Mystery Writer of the Century. So let's move along to tonight's action and the episode entitled Disappearing Diamonds. Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell brings you mystery adventure. Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. Willie Inch, did you say? Just a second. Do you want to talk to a fellow named Willie Inch, which I doubt? No. He says he's got to see you. Got to. Who is he? I'll ask. Uh, Mr. Wolf doesn't recognize your name, Mr. Inch. He wants to know who you are. Uh, just a second, I'll tell him. Mr. Inch says he's a sneak thief. He says you never heard of him, but he's heard of you. Should I tell him to get lost? Wait a minute, Archie. Ask him what he wants. Uh, Inch, Mr. Wolf wants to know what you want to see him about. A phony murder rap. This is a phony murder rap. It'd have to be, wouldn't it, Archie? How do you mean? Phony, I mean. Did you ever hear of a sneak thief committing murder if it could possibly be avoided? Yes, Archie. Tell Mr. Inch. I'll listen to his story. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that renowned genius who is the bulkiest, bulkiest, most ponderous, and most brilliant detective in the world. Yes, none other than that chair-born mass of unpredictable intellect, Nero Wolfe, created by Rex Stout and brought to you in a new series of adventures of this NBC network, 
in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. When Mr. Wolf and I talk about this little difficulty, he calls it the case of Archie Goodwin and how he got hooked. However, I call it the case of the disappearing diamonds. I prefer my title. He prefers his. Anyhow, it started with an improbable character named Willie Inch. That'll be our sneak thief, Archie. Let him in. Okay, boss. Okay. Inch? Yeah. Come in. In there. I'll follow you. Mr. Wolf, this is your client. Mr. Inch? Uh, yeah. Mm. Tall fellow. Must be over six feet six. Sit down. Uh, where? Archie? Here, Mr. Inch. This ought to be comfortable. Where, well, Mr. Inch? Uh, uh, look, Mr. Wolf. They're going to claim that I killed a woman I never even touched. And I'm going to fry for something I never even done. All right, Mr. Inch. How did you kill her? I didn't. I didn't. I never killed nobody in my life. Mr. Inch, you say you're a thief. Can you prove it? Uh, I got a record. Why? I was wondering about that bulge in your pocket. Oh. Oh, here? It's, uh, it's a silver cigarette lighter, ain't it? I guess it sort of dropped into my pocket as I was going by. Y- you see you see the way it happened? Never mind, Miss Grinch. Now tell me how you didn't kill the woman for whose murder you will fry. Well, well Mr. Wolf, sir, it was like this. There was a window half open, you see, and I happened to crawl inside the house. But hey, now. Well, Miss This, uh... This is just between us, ain't it? Possibly. How do you mean? Explain, Archie. Mr. Wolf said possibly. Oh. Well, uh, okay. So I happen to find myself in the bedroom, see? So I happen to sort of roam around, and I hear there's like a party going on. You know, people and music. So I lock the door. So go on. Let him tell it his own way, Archie. Well, Miss Lynch? So that's the mistake I make. Mistake? Maybe I, I leave my fingerprints on the door. So? So, so later, a dame gets herself knocked off in the same room. And they look for fingerprints. And they find mine. I'm it. That's all. I, I got a record. So, so the chair. I see. Pitiful case, isn't it, Archie? Very, very mournful. Inch. Uh, yes, sir. I presume you came away with some souvenirs? Oh, nothing. It wasn't worth the trouble. You know, just odds and ends. Junk. Have you got the junk with you? Yeah. Let me see. Uh, here. Hmm. Cigarette case, platinum. Lighter, gold. Vanity case, gold. That's that's all? Mm, Positively. Junk, the man says. I promise nothing, Mr. Inch, but it might be better if you told the truth. Me? You. Oh, well. One square cut emerald ring. I I just happened to find it. (laughs) Here's something more. A pewter ashtray. Look, the room is dark. I can't see. Piles of coats on the beds and hats and handbags. I take what I find. Why didn't you turn on the lights? One of these big standing lamps. You know what I mean. Go on. I bump into it. And it scares the living... I mean, it scares me. Joe? I I turn the switch. It don't work. Archie. That sounds like the law, boss. The law. Stay right where you are, Willie. May I suggest there is a way to find out, Archie? Okay, okay. We don't want any. Good morning, Goodwin. You remember me, your old friend, Inspector Kramer? Two gentlemen with me are also with the department, Pearlie and Ostrakovich. May we come in? What do you want? We want a murderer. 
And we want some rocks worth 250 grand. Does that answer your question? What makes you think you'll find all those goodies here? Come in, man. We know Willie Inch is here. Where is he? Now, just a second. We're coming with you, Goodwin. Okay, Inspector, come along. The law. That's Willie Inch, Friskin. Ah, no weapons? Okay, just put the cuffs on him. Inspector Kramer. Oh, yes. Hello, Wolf. I want to tell you something about this man whom you and your men have so bravely captured in my office. You don't need to tell me about him, Wolf. We know about him. Do you indeed? Yes. We know he killed Mrs. Florence Avery March and stripped a quarter of a million worth of diamonds off her. That's all we need to know. I didn't do no such a thing. Where's the ice, Willie? I never even seen none, honest. Take him away, boys. I'll make the charge when I get back to my office. Wait. Uh, Mr. Wolf, sir. Take him. Look, I ain't done nothing, I tell you. Inspector Kramer. Yeah. We're going to have a little talk now, aren't we? If necessary. How do you mean? Explain, Argin. Uh, Mr. Wolf means you're going to have a little talk if necessary. Very funny. I will now draw up a chair and show you why it's necessary. In the first place, $250,000 worth of diamonds makes it necessary. Archie, if you please, a bottle of beer. Okay. Will the inspector name his poison? You know I never drink on duty. And just for me, Archie, please. On my way. a bottle of imported beer, it occurred to me that I had something to be grateful for. At least I wasn't in Willie Inch's enormous shoes. And as I went back to the office, I had time to wonder why Mr. Wolf would stick his fat neck out for a no good like Willie. Thank you, Archie. And sit down, Archie. Inspector Kramer has a theory that may amuse you. You're all Wolf's office. It's for you, Inspector. Hello, Kramer. Gold cigarette holder? That's all? Okay. Inspector, do you realize that you have already taken a great deal of my time? Archie. Yes, Inspector? The great Mr. Wolf just said I had a theory that might amuse you. Would you care to hear it? I can hardly wait. Okay. My theory is that both Wolf and you are receivers of stolen property and possibly guilty of murder conspiracy. So far, you got me in stitches. <laughs> Willie Inch, with a record as long as your arm, robs the home of Mrs. Florence Avery Marsh. He strangles her with a silk scarf, takes the diamonds she's wearing, grabs everything else that's lying around, and then what? Is it a question? I'll tell you what. He will, too. <laughs> Archie, listen, listen. Then Inch brings the stuff here, the stuff that's piled on Wolf's desk and the diamonds. You want me to tell you where the diamonds are? They're in that safe right there. Inspector Kramer, I know nothing about the diamonds. They are not in the safe and they're not in the house. Now you can take my word for it, or you can get a search warrant and make a fool of yourself. I'm going to have lunch. <laughs> By two o'clock, the newspapers were full of the murder of Mrs. Florence Avery March. The suspect was already in custody, caught at the home of Nero Wolf, well-known private investigator. Some of the stolen jewelry had been recovered, but not the diamonds. Then we had a visit from Mr. Anson Stark, who had opened Mrs. March's door and found her dead. Stark was a big athletic guy of about 30 or so, with the large, capable hands of a surgeon or a laboratory worker. He seemed annoyed at the inconvenience we caused him, but 
That was only natural. That's the story, Mr. Wolf. I don't see how I can add anything more to it. Uh, you had known Mrs. March for several years, huh? Mm, casually. When you broke the door open, uh, was it difficult? Not very. You were the first into the room? There were three or four of us. We pushed in together. You saw the body of Mrs. March immediately? She was lying across the bed that was heaped with coats and hats and handbags. You knew she was dead? Of course not. In fact, somebody else discovered that she had been choked to death. And who discovered that the diamonds were gone? I don't know. I didn't. Uh, were there many diamonds, Mr. Stark? No, just a few, but big ones. She wore them on a pendant around her neck. Mr. Stark, I want to thank you again for having been so patient. I have been patient, Mr. Wolf. I have my own business to attend to. Which is? Oh, I have a small but hopeful enterprise. Electronics, tubes for radio and television. Mostly experimental. Well, that reminds me, Mr. Stark. When you entered the bedroom, was the light on or off? Uh, let me see. Of course, it was on. It must have been on. Why? Just curiosity, Mr. Stark. Oh? Anything more? That's all, except thank you for coming here. Archie, will you take Mr. Stark to the door? Stark departed like a man who'd been delayed by a petty annoyance. A few minutes later, the door bell, and I went, expecting anything. Anything but what was standing on the threshold when I opened up. A honey blonde. Or, to put it another way, a blonde honey. I said hello. No, more like hello. Are you Mr. Wolf? Uh, I'm his assistant, Archie Goodwin, and what can we do for you? Well, I'm Valerie Ladd. And I'm Archie Goodwin. Or did I tell you that? Well, that's exactly where I came in. Well, I mean, where I thought you were going to ask me to come in. Oh, come in, come in. I'm sorry. How is he? Is he here? Wolf? Mm -hmm. Uh, does he know you? No. Is he expecting you? No. I see. Of course you don't see, do you? Well, this is it, Mr. Gooden. I'm a writer. I may not look like it, but that's what I am. And I want to do a, a profile, a character study of Mr. Wolf for a magazine. Oh. What's wrong? Well, you see, there's a writer named Rex Stout. Oh, I know. He's written a lot about Nero Wolf, but well, can't I write about him, too? I don't know if he's going to like it, but you can't be shot for trying. Come on. Mr. Wolf, this is Valerie Ladd. Pardon me for not rising, Miss Ladd. It is not impolite. It is merely impracticable. Miss Ladd wants to write about you for a magazine. Please, Mr. Wolf. Nonsense. Mr. Wolf, if I could just spend a few hours with you, that would be enough. Would it indeed? Oh, yes. Have you written much, Miss Ladd? Oh, reams. You know, uh, the habits of writers interest me. The habits? Yeah, the writing habits. For instance, do you use a pen or a pencil? Do you dictate, or like most writers, do you do your own typing? Mr. Wolf, if you knew the hours and days and, and years that I've pounded a typewriter. Of course. Archie. Yes, sir. Why don't you take Miss Ladd up and show her the orchids? You never know about Nero, Wolf. At least I never do. This was something I would have bet against a thousand to one. I couldn't understand. But I certainly couldn't complain. Archie, look at this one. Oh, did you ever see anything so gorgeous? Very pretty. Ah, they're all just beyond belief. Yeah? But you're not even looking at them, Archie. What? Oh. <laughs> Archie, are you always like this? 
What do you mean like this? Well, so... So distant and preoccupied. Honey, you got me wrong. Completely. I was thinking. Oh. Yeah, about telephone numbers. Well, it's a lovely thing to think about. What can you think about telephone numbers? I was thinking how some girls have them and some don't. Oh, I see. Archie, I apologize. For what? I did have you wrong. You're not a bit distant. I can be a lot closer than this, honey. What is it? What's what? The number. Oh, it's uh, in the book. Yeah? I wonder. Hmm. Sound as if you don't believe me. Oh, I believe you, but uh, here's a telephone book here. Let's lick it up together, shall we? Uh, Archie. Yeah. Uh, I'm afraid I lied to you. I was afraid of that, too. Are you angry? Well, I can take no for an answer, honey. Even when it's hard to take. Archie, I've changed my mind. I want you to have my number. And I want you to use it, too. You know, honey, I'm beginning to take an interest in this dialogue. Let's have it. Okay. Olympia 93659. And a very, very pretty number it is. Valerie Ladd. Two Ds? Uh-huh. Olympia 93659. Honey Blonde. Gorgeous. Oh. Spelled <gasps> gorgeous. There. Uh, what are we doing tonight, Olympia and I? And I said that you were distant and preoccupied. Uh, we were talking about tonight. Hmm. All right, Archie. Yes, I'd love it. Oh, these orchids, they're really beyond belief. And you won't even look at them. True. I'm too busy looking at you. Well, how do I look, Archie? Beyond belief, honey. <laughs> beyond belief. Well, there goes the good one luck again. It's a house phone, partner. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Okay. He wants us to come down. Archie. Yes, dear. Even if he says no, we, uh, we still have a date? Honey, though the heavens fall. When we entered the office, Mr. Wolf was frowning over a sheet of letter paper in his hand. He looked up and tossed the paper to me. That is a peculiar thing, Archie. The sheet of letter paper just arrived. Since Miss Ladd is interested in detection, show it to her. Thank you. But well, some sort of code, isn't it? Q-W-E-R-T-Y-U-I-O-P. That's all. What do you suppose it means? You're kidding. Archie. Oh. oh. Did I say something wrong? No, 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 no. Miss Ladd, I'm sorry, but I'm afraid I haven't time for an interview just now. Goodbye, Miss Ladd. Oh, but Mr. Wolf. Goodbye, Archie. Say goodbye to Mr. Wolf and let's go, honey. Goodbye. That's the way things can be around here. Well, here's the door, and shall we, uh... Shall we pause for station identification? Hmm. I'll wipe it off, Archie. There. Thanks. What happened, Archie? Yes, indeed. Yeah, Mr. Wolf, I mean... Oh. Why did he suddenly want me to go? Well, I'll tell you, though. I don't know whether I should. That that code message he showed you? Yes. Quirky up. You remember? Yeah, sure. Because I use a typewriter. From left to right, it's the first bank of letters on any typewriter. I see. It was a test. 
Yeah. And you flunked it, baby. You're no writer. Archie, I, I, I can explain sure, it. Sure, sure, sure. Tonight. <sighs> Tonight, Archie. You do believe me, don't you, Archie? Oh, of course, baby, of course. Well, it's just that I was there at the party on you when, when poor Florence was murdered. Then I read in the paper about, well, how they caught the man at Nero Wolf. And I always wanted to be a writer, so I thought if I could get an exclusive interview and, well, that would be a good way to start my career, wouldn't it? Yes, yes, it would. Uh, pardon me a second, will you, Valerie? I gotta make a phone call. There's a booth, it'll only take a minute or two. speaking. Archie, I'm at the Riviera with Valerie Ladd. I'm happy for you, Archie. I will remind you that I have not seen you since Valerie left the house. I was otherwise occupied, Archie. With orchids. With orchids? What do you want, Archie? Look, with that typewriter gag, you practically told me she was a phony, didn't you? Of course, of course. Just for the record, how did you know? Have you looked at her fingernails? She never touched a typewriter in her life. I wanted to be sure. Okay, now... Now, do you want me to tell you something? You mean that your charming companion, Valerie, was at the party when Mrs. March was murdered? How did you know that? Simple, Archie. I got a list of the guests from Inspector Kramer. Among them was the name of Valerie Ladway. Simple? Ladway. Lad. Yeah, sure. Okay, what am I supposed to do about it? Just hang on, Archie. Just hang on. I went back to the honey blonde, the beautiful phony Valerie Ladd, Ladway. I mean, I went back to the table where she should have been, but she wasn't there. I sat down and waited. Looked at my watch, 11.24. 11.32, no Miss Ladway. 11.45, I finally realized that not only Valerie, but her coat and bag were also absent. I called the waiter. Yes, sir? Uh, what happened to my friend? The young lady left some time ago, sir. Okay, give me the bill. She paid it, sir. She did? Yes, sir. In fact, she said you gave her the money for it. Yeah? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Well, I didn't know it, but she is certainly right. Oh. Oh. Well, Archie, this is most thoughtless of you. Sorry, I, uh... I lost my keys. My money, too. Your keys, Archie? Yeah. Glad you were still up. You lost Miss Ladway, too? Definitely. I'm going to bed. Good night, Archie. You think it's funny, don't you? <laughs> yes, Archie. Yes, yes, I do. Good night, Mr. Wolf. Archie. Yeah? Before you retire, one thing. What? Open the safe, will you? And leave it open. Why? Because there's nothing in it of importance. And it's a valuable save and I don't want it damaged. Good night, Archie. At 
about two o'clock in the morning, I thought I heard a noise. I got up, put on the rest of my pajamas, picked up my gun, and went down to the office. A man had his head in the safe, and everything was scattered all over. I stepped inside the door. Put your hands behind your back and stand up. Huh? Okay. Now, just what are you after, bud? When I woke up, I was alone on the office floor. I did not feel good. The place looked as if a hurricane had struck it. Every file drawer had been empty. I felt a draft from somewhere. Got to my feet, trying not to joggle my head too much. It was the front door standing open. Closed it gently. Then very, very gently, I groped my way to the kitchen for ice, water, and towels. Archie! What? Oh, didn't you hear me scream? No. Is it bad? It's better. You're angry, aren't you? Nuts. What, Archie? I said nuts, Mr. Wolf. Nuts. I'm sorry about what happened. Yeah, you expected it. But I didn't expect you to be caught by somebody behind you. You must have known there would be two of them. Now, how would I know that? How? Think of Mr. Ladway's delicate hands. Do you believe she intended to open the safe herself? You think she stole my keys and so on. Well, let me tell you... Hey, wait. That guy was digging in the safe that... Then who hit me in the head? (laughs) Ah, gee, someday you'll be the death of me. In the morning, will you tell Inspector Kramer I'd like to see him here? Fuming and protesting, Kramer arrived about 1.30. When I let him into the office, Mr. Wolfe was gazing thoughtfully at the ground floor plan of the house of the late Mrs. Florence Avery March. We'd gotten it from the original architects. Wolfe looked up and almost smiled. Thank you for coming to me, Inspector. You know how difficult it is for me to come to you. Okay, okay, what's up? I take it you haven't found the diamonds. No, not yet. We'll break inch down, though. Don't think we won't. Oh, I'm sure. But this is what I want to ask you, and it's quite serious. Okay, okay, all right, what? After the body was found, your men arrived at the house before anyone left. Right. And before anybody was allowed to go, every person was searched thoroughly. Nobody could have gotten a pin or a needle out of that place. I know something about police methods, and I believe you. Now, how thoroughly did you search the house itself? Wolf, look. We've got that floor plan you're studying now. There are no hidden closets. Every square inch of that house has been examined. The diamonds aren't there. Willie Inch killed the dame and snatched the diamonds. What he did with them, we'll find out. Possibly, possibly. Goodbye, Inspector. At approximately 3.15, the postman arrived with an envelope for me. The envelope contained my keys, the bill from the Riviera, and the money left after the check was paid. At approximately 5.07 p.m., I discovered that Wolf had been using the telephone all by himself. He explained. He was going to have a party. He had invited all of the guests who were at Mrs. Florence Avery March's somewhat fatal party, including Anson Stark, Willie Inch, and Valerie. Nero Wolf, a natural-born ham, he made an entrance that would have been worthy of Queen Victoria in her heavier days. He sat in his oversized throne behind his oversized desk and beamed at the peasants. Valerie moved toward me. 
I'm... I'm sorry, Archie. But you must know why I did it. Why? Well, you said I wasn't a writer. I wanted to prove that you weren't a detective. Did you take the stuff while we were dancing? I could have. Couldn't I? You could have bumped me on the head last night, too, couldn't you? Oh, Archie. Let it go. It was humiliating, though. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure you realize the purpose of this party. We want to know who killed Mrs. March and what became of her diamond. Mr. Inch. Uh, yeah? When you visited the room where the body was found, the room was dark? Uh, the bulb was burned out. I tried to turn it on. If there had been a body on the bed, would you have seen it? Maybe. With all those coats, maybe not. Sure. Mr. Stark? Yes, I said the light was on. Perhaps I was wrong. What of it? You're engaged in the manufacture of tubes for radio and television, huh? I told you that. Inspector Kramer. Yeah, what? A light bulb was found in the wastebasket in the room where Mrs. March died. Yeah. Like you said, we tried the bulb in the socket and it worked. So what? One more question. Does anybody remember whether Mr. Stark was carrying a bundle or a package under his arm when he arrived at Mrs. March's party? Oh, I do, Mr. Wolf. I think he had a box of flowers. That's true. I did bring flowers. No, Mr. Stark. That box contained two parts of a light bulb and some adhesive. During the party, you strangled Mrs. March, put the diamonds into the light bulb, assembled the thing, and screwed it into the lamp socket. Archie, stop him. Really, Archie, it was quite simple. Light bulbs are only a stem glass bowl and a brass sheet. Yet nobody, including the police, would think of looking inside one. Mr. Stark could come back and collect his treasure any time after the excitement had died down. What's the matter, Archie? I got a headache. Valerie Ladd. Ladby. Olga. She and whoever the man was with her must have thought the diamonds were here. That bump on your head will be better in the morning. Bottle of beer, please, Archie. I'm going to bed. <laughs> yeah. Why must you place such confidence in women? Remember what happened to Mark Antony and Samson and Archie Goodwin. <laughs> Good night, Archie. You have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. <laughs> Tonight's transcribed story by Mindred Lord was based on the characters created by Rex Stout, produced and directed by J. Donald Wilson. This is an Edwin Fadiman production. In the cast were Harry Bartell as Archie Goodwin, and G.G. Pearson, Bud Heaston, Gray Stafford, Dick Ryan, and Bill Johnstone. Stay tuned for The Whistler next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Whistler on Theater of the Mind. The Signal Oil Program, The Whistler.
whistle is your signal for the signal oil program, The Whistler. I'm the whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Yes, friends, it's time for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler, rated by independent research the most popular West Coast program in radio history. And Signal Gasoline is tops, too. Tops in quality. It takes extra quality, you know, to give you extra mileage. And Signal is the famous go-farther gasoline. So look for the Signal Circle sign in yellow and black that identifies friendly dealer-owned Signal stations from Canada to Mexico. And now, the Whistler's strange story. The Body Off Billingsgate. It was a grim scene there on the dock at Billingsgate, with the early morning fog swirling eerily around the three figures bending over the shapeless mass on the planking. The Scotland Yard inspector, the sergeant with his notebook, and Peterson, the nervous little fisherman, stammering answers to the inspector's methodical questions. Oh, Van Dodge say the man's been dead about 12 hours. You got that, sergeant? Yes, sir. Now, uh, Mr. Peterson, you say you'd moored your boat out there on the river? That's right, Inspector. About two hours ago it was. Then as I was coming in, in the small boat here, I spotted the body in the water. I see. Nearly right ran into it, I did. Uh, any idea who he is, Inspector? Looks like an American. Blow on the head, Sergeant. Blunt instrument. Put that down. Yes, sir. Uh, let's have a look in his pockets. Blow on the head. How do you suppose a poor bloke come to this? Gangster affair, probably. Most of the gangsters seem to end up this way. Hello. What is it, Inspector? A check for £5,000 on the Barclays Bank. Signed by uh, Wilfred Greenwood. Hmm. Stay here and look after things, will you, Sergeant? Yes, sir. Medical examiner will be up shortly. I'm going over to have a talk with the manager of that bank. Yes, sir. Blimey, what a way to die. How do you suppose... You heard what the inspector said, man. Blunt instrument. Yes, it was obvious that the man had died as a result of a blow from a blunt instrument. But there was something more important than that. Something the inspector was to find out later at Barclays Bank. Something which indicated that the most important cause of the man's death was a normally harmless instrument, just an ordinary fountain pen. It had been more than a month before, in a fog like this one, that Victor Milton groped cautiously toward the glowing yellow rectangle of an outdoor telephone booth in the murky darkness, listening. Yes, operator. I want to put through a trunk call to London, please. That's right. Hurry it along, will you? No hurry, John. Victor! Cancel the call. Hang up. What the deuce? Vic, I didn't know you were in Leeds. I thought you... Thought I was in London, I know. Who are you calling? Oh, 
just a, a friend, Vic. Don't hand me that. You're the boy who's been tipping off the opposition, aren't you, Greenwood? You're wrong, Vic. I've nothing to do with Two it. Two weeks since you joined the organization. Two weeks since the other mob has been knocking off our trucks. Funny coincidence, isn't it? No, no, no. no. Wait a minute, Vic. I can explain. You can oh. begin by telling me who you were calling in London. I told you. Just a friend. Quit stalling. I got a train to catch. Who was it, John? You better talk or I'll... No, you won't. Drop it. Drop that gun. Tell me who you were calling. Oh, no. I won't tell you, Vic. I'll kill you. Give me Get your back down. There. There, that's better. Vic, don't do it. And that's how it began, Victor. With a young man named John Greenwood dead at your feet at a public telephone booth in Leeds. You bend down quickly, take his wallet and gun, and hurry off into the night. It's three blocks to the railroad station, and the train's due in five minutes. You stop for a moment on a bridge over a canal near the station, drop in the gun and wallet, and then hurry up onto the station platform. Happy, happy in here. This way, Happy. Okay. Got it. Ooh. Ooh, thanks. Thanks a million. Oh, you're not Toppy. Uh, Toppy? I must sound awfully silly. It's a family nickname for my brother. I thought you were Toppy, you see. He was never on time for a train in his life. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Oh, it's not that at all. Uh, well, uh, if you'd be good enough to sit down, I shouldn't wonder if I could start reading my paper. Oh, I'm uh, so sorry. I didn't realize we were in your yeah, life. Sure. Sure, go ahead. We'll sit down over here. Uh, thank you. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, who's the old boy? Colonel Blimp? You hear you. That's funny, isn't it? You never know who you'll run into in a fog. Colonel Blimp? Or... Or what? An angel from the first cloud on the left. You Americans always come straight to the point, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) How did you know I was an American? The way you talk. Oh, now, wait a minute. I've only been here for two weeks, but I've been working hard. I say bowler instead of derby, (laughs) petrol instead of gas. (laughs) You're as bad as Tuppy. He wants to sound like an American and can't pull it off either. I do wish he'd got here. You're not worried, are you? No, but he promised to ride to London with me to see Father. It's my first trip to town in almost a year, you see. I've been at school in Leeds and... Oh, oh dear, I, I must sound like an awful chatterbox. Oh, not at all. What's your brother doing in Leeds? He's just taken on a new job. Commercial traveler, paint, hardware, that sort of thing. He's young, of course, and a little irresponsible. But he'll settle down. No danger of puppies turning into a spiv. A spiv? Yes, you see, a spiv is a, uh, well, it is... It's a new word in our vocabulary, sir. An unfortunate addition, I might add. Oh, how do you mean, Colonel? Oh, Captain. Sorry. It's quite all right. A spiv, sir, does no work, pays no taxes, produces nothing of value, yet flourishes like the green bay tree. Black markets hijacking the soul. Shameful thing, shameful. Well, now you know what a spiv is. (laughs) Serves me right. <laughs> when did we get to London? Around midnight. Oh, wonderful. I'll see you home. Oh, I, I couldn't. Really. Oh, not another word now. After all, I have to do something useful now and then. Oh, what do you think I am? A, a spiv? Here you are, Governor. King's Road. 
You really shouldn't have gone to all this trouble. My dear young lady, it's after midnight. The fog's as bad here as it was in Leeds. Uh, that'll be ten bob. Okay, here you are, driver. Careful in the fog now, it's a bad one. I ser- I'm certainly grateful to you. It's the first time I've been here, you see. Father just moved in last week. Oh, I see. Well, think your father's still up? I'll be insulted if he isn't. He knows I'm coming. Hillary! Father! Oh, it's so good to have you home, my dear. And Toppy. Oh, uh, I'm afraid I... Toppy missed the train, Father. I thought I'd better see your daughter home, sir. It's a little late for her to be out alone. Well, uh, uh, thank you, young man. Uh, Come in, come in, won't you? Thank you. Now, uh, Hillary, don't you think you'd better... Oh, the telephone. Uh, Make yourself at home, will you? Hillary, I'm sure the young man can do the spot of brandy. Well, now, see here, it's pretty late. Perhaps I'd better Nonsense. be going. Nonsense. You heard what Father said. Oh, drunk call from Leeds. That must be Tuppy with some excuse or other. Don't be too harsh with him, Father. Do you prefer brandy oh. or whiskey, mister? Yes. yes. <laughs> Good heavens, you know, I don't even know your name. <laughs> We've come all this way and we haven't even been introduced. <laughs> I'm sorry. My name's Milton. Victor Milton. Well, how do you do, Mr. Milton? I'm Hillary. How do you yes. do? Yes, I'm listening, officer. What is it, Father? What's the matter? I see. Identification from the coat? Yes. Yes. Yes, I'll catch the first train north. Thank you. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Father, what's happened? Is it... Tuffy? That was the police up in Leeds. He's not in another scrape. Not anymore. He's dead, Hillary. What? His body was found in the fog by a telephone booth. Been robbed. I, I can't believe it. I'm awfully sorry. I guess you two want to be alone. Yes. Uh, uh, thank you for seeing Hillary home, Mr. Milton. If there's anything I can do... Awfully kind of you, Mr. Milton. Our name is Greenwood. Greenwood? Uh, Wilfred Greenwood. My son was, was John. John Greenwood. You always called him Tuffy. Rob, but why would anyone rob him? He never had anything. He never... I, uh, I think it was something else, Hillary. And I'm going to find out who killed him if it's the last thing I do. With the prologue of The Body Off Billingsgate, the Signal Oil Company is bringing you another strange story. By The Whistler. terrible shock, isn't it, Victor? The knowledge that the man you killed in Leeds was the brother of the girl you met riding up to London. John Greenwood, Hillary's brother. And it's hard for you to believe that her brother could be like that. That he could be the son of an obviously influential and respectable citizen like Wilfred Greenwood. But that's the way it is, Victor. A thing that might happen once in a million times has happened to you. It unnerves you, doesn't it? but not enough to destroy your role as innocent stranger. They haven't the slightest reason to suspect, Victor, and you decide that their friendship might be valuable. You send flowers and condolences to John Greenwood's funeral, then wait a few days before telephoning Hillary. Oh, hello, Mr. Milton. 
Thank you so much for the flowers. Oh, I'm sorry I couldn't do more to help. But I realize that at such a time... You've been most thoughtful. Father appreciates it, too. I, uh... I read about some flowers uh, this morning in the Times. Oh? Yes, the carnations are blooming in Hyde Park. Say, I'll bet you haven't been out in the fresh air for a week. Well, as a matter of fact... You haven't. That's right. Only... You know, I think a stroll through the park or perhaps some boating would be just a thing for you. Well, I... I think so, too, Mr. Milton. I'd like very much to go. It is restful out here, Mr. Milton. I do feel relaxed now. That was the general idea. <laughs> but it's your expense. Aren't you tired of rowing? Oh, not at all. And I can use the exercise. I don't believe it. Though if you're anything like father... You... Too involved in business? You're all the same. Oh, no. No, I don't overdo it. Father does. Lately, anyway. To tell the truth, Mr. Milton, I'm worried about him. Oh? He's taken Tuppy's... John, this so hard. I really didn't expect him to be this way. John always got into scrapes, and Father's been so very proper. There were times when they had real differences. Father's so hurt by it. That... Haven't, haven't the police any idea who shot your brother? No. But Father won't give up. I wish I could help some way. You've done a lot already, Mr. Milton. Make it Victor, will you? All right, then. Victor. <laughs> That's better. Much better. Yes, Victor, it's going well. And as you continue to see Hillary during the days that follow, you begin to feel more secure, knowing the friendship of influential people like the Greenwoods makes everything solid. The suite at the Carlton, the office in Oxford Street, your pose as the enterprising young American businessman. Yes, Hillary will solve some problems, but not all of them. What's wrong, Ernie? What's holding us up? Money. They got two of our trucks again last night on the Great North Road. Suit in materials, tweeds, worsteds, close to 4,000 pounds. Oh, I'd like to know who's tipping them off. Oh, could be anyone. They've got a man on every corner. There's no getting away from them. We need money, huh? Yeah. Quick. All right, Ernie. All right, I'll get it. Who do you know over here? Well, you just... I said I'd get it. Never mind how. All I need is a little time. You like it here, Hillary? It's heaven. Well, that's because you're here in my arms. It's, it's sweet of you to say that. What are we waiting for, Hillary? I... I don't know, Vic. It's the first cloud on the left, and we're sitting right on it. Together. I never want to let you get away. Would you... Would you think it's strange if I proposed right here on the dance floor? Well, Vic, you shouldn't. What will Father... He won't object. And what if he does? I... I don't know. Oh, we've wasted too much time already, Hillary. Let, let's do it. Let's elope. When? Right now. Darling, we can't. Oh, yes, we can. I've already got the special license. Well, Oh, I... Hillary, Hillary, please, please. We can talk about it on the way. On the way? Yes, darling. After all, you can't expect me to be married 
without my hat and coat. Well, well, go ahead, Mrs. Milton. Ring the bell. I, I feel so nervous now that we're back, Vic. I, I don't know how to face Father. <laughs> Why so jittery? He's all prepared. You wired him, dear. I know, but... <laughs> here, here. I'll ring. Come on, chin up, darling. I don't know why I'm acting like this. Hello, Father. Well, Hillary, you did get back. And you, Victor, married to my daughter. That's right, sir. Well, what are we standing here for? Come in, you two. I've had the champagne on ice ever since I got your wire. Father, you darling. <laughs> <laughs> I must say, Victor, you Americans don't let any grass grow under your feet. Well, so with a cur like Hillary. Oh, it's all right, my boy. I'm pleased. You must know that by now. Uh, the quality of the champagne certainly says something, Mr. Greenwood. <laughs> Good. Ah, but it doesn't say nearly enough. Now, come over here, both of you, to my desk. Now, uh, now where's my checkbook? Oh, now, Father, we really didn't expect Oh, never you to... mind now, dear. Haven't any family heirlooms to pass along, but my bank account can certainly stand a substantial present to both of you. You're only embarrassed, Vic. Oh, where are my glasses, Hillary? Mr. Greenwood, Hillary's right. We oh, here, here, here. I can't see without them. Vic, you make out the check. But, sir, oh, I... Go on, go on now. You may as well do it, darling. He always gets his way. Well, all right. Uh, uh, what's the date? Darling, our wedding day. How can you forget? It's October 11th. Oh, sure. Oh, I'm all mixed up today, darling. October 11th, 1947. Oh, now, let me see. Um, October is the 10th month, isn't it? That's right. Mm-hmm. 10, 11, Uh, Who shall I make it out to, Mr. Greenwood? Call me Dad, won't you? And uh, make it payable to yourself, of course. You'll be the man of the house, I hope. Found my glasses yet, Hillary? I don't see them anywhere. Pay to order of Victor Milton. Five thousand pounds. Five thousand pounds. You sound like you don't believe me, Ernie. I'll feel better when I see it. Skip it. You better keep your eyes on the road. If they hijack us again tonight, we're through. How much farther to Leeds? Ten miles. The boys are meeting us at the warehouse and... The... <clears throat> Crikey! What's the matter? Look up ahead. It's a roadblock. Gun it up. I can't. Give it a guess, I said. The load's too heavy. We'll tip over. Who is it? Do you know them? It's them again. The same ones. I know that lorry of theirs. Let the truck go then. Let it go. Jump and run for it. No, Vic. We ain't got a chance, Vic! What's the idea? Where are we? Keep moving, mate. Uh, what did you do to Ernie? Keep moving. Nice bunch of guys. Pulling me off my own truck. Slapping a blindfold on me, driving me for miles. Maybe your wish it was further. 
All right. Hold it here, mate. Come in. Where did you find him? He jumped off the truck and we held it up. All right, Matt. You can take off that blindfold. Here, I'll do it. <sighs> Fine thing. Shoving a guy around like... What the... Vic! Mr. Greenwood. For a moment, you can't believe it, can you, Victor? That you're standing face to face with your new father-in-law, Wilfred Greenwood. It... It can't be. There, there must be some mistake. He's up. No mistake. He was on the truck. He said it was his. I see. All right. Go back to the truck. But it, it... I'll take care of him. Give us an hour. Alone. Righto. So, Pop, you're in this racket too, huh? You're the guy that's been hijacking my trucks. It was you, Vic. You killed John. I don't know what you're talking about. I've had men working on my son's murder ever since he was killed, and I told them to bring me the man who did it, no matter who he was. They brought you, Victor, and they don't make mistakes. <laughs> Simple as that, huh? Of course, Mr. Greenwood, now that I'm your son-in-law, Hillary is better off rid of you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You can't shoot me without... You didn't wait for it when it was John. No, Vic, I'm... You're doing nothing. Oh, let me go. Give me that gun. Give it to me. Yeah, that's better, Mr. Greenwood. What are you going to do? I haven't much choice. Oh, you won't get away with it, Vic. My men will be back here in an hour. I can get lost in England in less than an hour. You'll never stop running. I'll be alive, Greenwood, and with enough money to run a long ways, thanks to you. What? Your check for 5,000 pounds. Vic, you did kill him, my son, didn't you? Yes, yeah, I killed him. Thought you were smart planning him in my gang as a stool pigeon. Yes, I killed him. And I'll even show you how. No. No! Bitch! Uh, yes, sir? Uh, good morning, good morning. I'd like to cash this check, please. Very well, sir. Oh, Mr. Greenwood's check. Pay to the order of Victor Milton 5,000 pounds. Yes, I'm uh, his son-in-law. Of course. All right, Mr. Milton, if you'll wait just a moment, I'm sure we can honor it for you. The man discovered by the fisherman at Billingsgate died from a blow by a blunt instrument, according to the records at Scotland Yard. But in a strange way, the real cause of his death was the stroke of a fountain pen on a scrap of paper. If another man had held the pen, the victim might never have died. But the fatal pen marks could never be erased or changed. They were still there on that check for 5,000 pounds found in the dead man's pocket. Signed by Wilfred Greenwood. Even twelve hours in the cold water of the Thames River hadn't blurred a line. The Scotland Yard inspector waited quietly as the cashier at Barclays Bank examined the check carefully. I say the check is wet, inspector. It's... Yes. The man is made out to this Victor Milton was found dead at Billingsgate Dock a few hours ago. Oh, I see. A suicide, inspector? Hardly. Gangster affair, I'd say. Revenge for something the bloke had done. You've uh, seen that check before? Oh, yes. 
Only yesterday, Mr. Milton was in trying to cash it, Inspector. We had to refuse him, of course. Uh, why is that? I felt quite badly. He acted so strangely, almost desperate. I dare say he was. It seems he'd written the check himself for Mr. Greenwood to sign, but he post-dated it. I explained that the check couldn't clear for another month. He post-dated it? Yes, it was dated 10-11-47. You see, he was obviously an American, and they write a date differently than we do. They put the month first and the day next. While here in England, of course, we put the day first and the month second. Then this check he wrote is just reversed. He meant to indicate October the 11th, but actually in writing 10-11, he made it November 10th. So odd. Just a difference in trust. That's right. But I had to tell him we couldn't honor the check until a month from now. Strange fellow, you know. He seemed so anxious to have the money. But when I suggested he have Mr. Greenwood write him another check, he didn't say a word. Just looked at me and walked out. Let that whistle be your signal for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler, each Wednesday night at this same time. Brought to you by the Signal Oil Company, marketers of Signal gasoline and motor oil and fine quality automotive accessories. Signal has asked me to remind you, to get the most driving pleasure, drive at sensible speeds, be courteous, and obey traffic regulations. It may save a life, possibly your own. Featured in tonight's story were Wally Mayer and Alma Lawton. The Whistler was produced by George W. Allen with story by Leslie Edgley, music by Wilbur Hatch, and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. Next Wednesday, for a full hour of mystery over most of these stations, tune in a half hour earlier. Enjoy The Saint as well as The Whistler. This is Marvin Miller speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with The Jack Benny Show, followed by X-1. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.